Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Unfiltered, which is shaping up touch wood to fulfil a lot of the hopes we had when we started the project. People given enough time and space uh, to let us find out quite a lot more about them than perhaps we previously knew. This week's guest is Lily Allen, who I feel I do know oddly um, because of her work and also because of her social media uh, what would you call it? Campaigning? Protesting? I don't know. We'll find out what she calls it. I'm really, really looking forward to this, but I'm probably more nervous about it than any of the other interviews we've done. We've never met, and yet you, you, you kind of, I feel that I know you. Partly, obviously, like everybody does, because you put so much of yourself in your songs, mm. but then also because you've you've somehow sort of arrived at this this place on social media and in public life where where you care about a lot of stuff and get a lot of jip for it, mm. a lot of stick for it. So I, I thought I'd start by asking you, when you were last carefree? I think I've always been quite troubled by the state of the world, actually, since quite early age. And I've always just thought, wow, it just feels like so, so massive and complex. Like, how is anyone going to fix everything? Um, but... I don't know. I, mean, I think it's interesting that you say that I've sort of arrived in this place of social media because I feel like actually I started there with MySpace. Of course, yeah. Um, and that's kind of always been what people were attracted to even before they were attracted to the music was this sort of free thinking, free or, I, 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 or I, I, outward speaking person. I need, to, I need person. to point out at this stage that I'm 45 years old okay. and I, I, I missed my space. Yeah. I've, quite, I've, made up, I've made up for it since, but but I knew that that was where you first got attention for your yeah. music. I didn't realise that you were essentially using it as a... I always used it as a blog primarily, you know, okay. so it was... Um, well, even more then, people felt that they knew you, even yeah. though they were seeing a, a, a kind of version of you that was curated yeah. slightly. Well... Or not? I don't know. I mean, I think that it was more, you know, I was like in my late teens then. So I was kind of talking about, boy, you know, boys yeah. and things that mattered to me 
personal, you know, it was a bit more sort of like personal, not really about the world. Sure. It was more about my world and relationships and um, that kind of stuff. But yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like I've always used the internet and yeah, well, I, I and do chat now. Rooms and, and I do now. Yeah. You set me straight. But when you were, you weren't, you weren't, as you say, you weren't calling to order the, the world of politics and uh, uh, bigger issues like that. Well, but you were, you were out there. Was, was it unfiltered? To, to coin a phrase, were you genuinely just being a, any nineteen-year-old girl who, who just happened to be making an impact, making I mean, a listen, following? Both my parents are like staunch socialists, so um, or at least they were when I was a kid. Um, <laughs> not so much now. Uh, but they, you know, my, my dad kind of always said to me, you know, I'd get in trouble and stuff at school. And rather than being the parent that was like, you've got to listen to your teachers. He was always like, why? You know, yeah. always ask why, like, where's that coming from? Why is somebody trying to oppress you or to, or to push you down? And whenever anyone's telling you off, always question it. Like well, where why? the motive is coming from. And yeah. I've just, I've just always done that. Are you, are, you, are, you giving, are you giving similar messages to your children? Are they encouraged to, to question all attempts at discipline and instruction? They're only four or five. They're not really there yet. <laughs> You're joking, aren't you? Well, <laughs> I mean... Will you then? Will you will, will you copy your dad's techniques or will you sort no, of... No, I wouldn't. I mean, my dad, you know, for, for that little nugget of advice, you know, in fact, I don't even... It probably wasn't even really particularly good advice. Because, you know, we, we should be a bit more restricted <laughs> sometimes, but... Um, I don't yeah my kids I don't know it's a difficult one isn't it they might be really well behaved they are pretty well behaved there you go that's how they'll rebel isn't it from the from the gene pool the best way to to rebel would be to fall right into line and (laughs) and tow it Um, take me back then to that to to, to when it began because you 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 left a succession of schools involuntarily Mm -hmm. I think is the uh, is the word to use isn't it And, and you knew you had musical talent but you knew pretty much mid-teens that you wanted to have a crack at at the music business? Well, no, I I just knew that I didn't really want to go to school and uh, my mum wouldn't let me live in her house without paying any rent and I knew that I didn't want to be a waitress forever. So without an education, so to speak, and without any money, it was like, well, you're going to have to do something creative and you're not very good at drawing and... Acting looks pretty hard. <laughs> you think, really? I don't know. I thought acting was a lot easier than music. I don't know, actually. I mean, I think maybe because you can create music like on your own in front of yeah, small of groups of people. Yeah. And actually, I feel quite, I'm actually, I am actually quite a shy person. And it's probably why I do feel like I can express myself via my phone mm. because I'm not sort of on show. But being the idea of being on a film set, which I was quite a lot as a kid, because of, of my parents, um, you know, my dad obviously an actor my mum is film producer so I spent a lot of time on set so the idea of like being surrounded by 200 kind of like alpha males because obviously back in those days as well like Mm. majority of people on set would be blokes you know Mm. um, uh, sparkies and directors there weren't really any like roles for for women apart from people in hair and makeup and they weren't really on set so yeah it was the idea of going into acting was not appealing. So how did it start? <laughs> no, I can see that. Still time. How did it? How did it start? I mean, the, the, the first time you thought, "Crikey, I am actually going to be able to pay my rent doing this." Uh, well, it was kind of like it actually kind of was orchestrated by my dad slightly. He had a friend of his called um, Tracy Bennett who worked at London Records, and my dad was writing music at the time, like doing 
football songs with Alex James. Yeah, yeah, of course. And so they were they would always be in the studio, and they'd you know invariably need like a female vocalist sometimes to do harmonies and stuff. So I did I sang a bit, and you know Alex and all people that were in the studios were like, actually, you know, she's pretty good. Um, and so I did some covers and stuff and then it came across you know my dad's friend Tracy's thing and he was like oh yeah we'll give you a development deal anyway that all went off terribly terribly wrong just what petered out or actually went it was wrong. just rubbish it was yeah. just like you know I was sort of my dad kind of like you know being the controlling person that he is sort of like took over and wanted to write all the songs and he was trying to be the Malcolm McLaren yeah basically it? and um, and <laughs> I, it was horrible <laughs> 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 so then um, it got to a pretty bad place though it was like they Warner Brothers or you know ironically I'm back on Warner's now but at that time London Records was a division of Warner Brothers and they you know, wouldn't give me any more money to do any recordings, but they wouldn't let me out of my deal. So mm. I then had to sue them to get out of my deal. I was only like 17 or 18. That. And then they threatened me with a counter suit because they for like three and a half million pounds or something. I was like 17 it's and my mum was just like, this all, is ridiculous, you don't have any assets. It's all her like, fault. It's all her <laughs> fault for making you try to find a way to yeah, pay exactly. the rent. You exactly. come back three and a half you million pounds. You just wanted the rent. No, no. <laughs> oh, bless you, mum. So, yeah, so, they, so that was quite, that was sort of like my introduction to the, the music industry. Yeah, it was like, happy. wow, I'm 17 and they're threatening me with three and a half million, million, million So what counts, happened so. next? How did, you, how did you pull out of that? I think my mum was just like, well, let them sue you. You're yeah, 17 and you haven't got any assets. Take your trainers. <laughs> good um, so yeah I don't know how that I can't really remember how it ended I was quite traumatised and I blocked it out but um, it did end and and then I was like you know no one really wants to sign an artist that's already sued a no, record label not. by no. the time she's 18 so um, it was back to the drawing board a little bit for me and I think I can't really remember what I did I think I went and worked out in Ibiza for a couple of summers until I sort of regained my confidence and then somebody, a manager, a guy who ended up being my manager, I met him in Ibiza and he was like, what happened to the singing stuff? And I was like, you should, you should do it, you know, you were good. And so he kind of like got me into it again. Then and I ended up signing, signing with EMI, who then got born out, bought out by Warner Brothers. Right, signed. so you were back at the beginning. <laughs> But with different faces. Massive faces. Different faces. Time. Different faces. No, I mean, you could have been three and a half million pounds down by the time you got back there. And it was different faces could still be. on the other side of the desk. <laughs> and, and so, and then MySpace was like, you were one of the very first people to spot the. It's a way of getting into people's bedrooms. I don't, I don't mean that in a, dodgy, in a dodgy way. And that had never really happened before, Yeah, had it? It, it's, it's, it? it was always on a stage or on a platform you could speak to people. You could yeah. never really speak to people, in, except through radio, but not beyond the music and that and you just I don't think there was nothing like you know I think now people you know look at social media and see it as a way to you know make money and there's like Mm. a business model there but at the time it wasn't no I'm not suggesting you did it happened by accident it was a new thing and it was just like oh you know there's this space that you're meant to sort of write in you know what some people would like you know copy and paste HTML code and there'd be like a sort of moving image in there or um, you know I don't know what people did, but it just seemed obvious to me, like, to write a sort of online diary. And people liked it. And people really responded to it. Yeah. Why do you think they liked it? Um, well, again, because I think up until that point, you, the only interaction that fans had with musicians or you know pop stars. I wasn't a pop star at that point. No, you know, I was. I was just a musician, but. 
um, was, you know, what a journalist's perspective on yes. that person was, you know, or how a PR person wanted you to be perceived for the for the market. So it, it was quite obvious that there wasn't a PR person, you know, involved. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been allowed to say all the things <laughs> I said. Um, and I think people liked that. You know, it was it was the, the era, it was coming out of you know bands like S Club Seven and steps and everything was really rigid and you know very yeah. media trained uh, and, come, come, uh, the, the peak of yeah. packaging and a little bit like what's happening now a, a, a bit with social media it's sort of like it's going through a period of of change you know like news isn't working mm. in the same way that it used to right. and um and so people i think that weirdly like these kind of formats and podcasts and chats are going to become the new news almost well, fingers crossed well yeah but I, I can't see it going anywhere because no one trusts the no, big so organizations you, anymore so you, it's like and 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 the journalists that work for those big organizations don't feel that they can be honest because somebody at the top is saying you can't say that we're going to get sued so ultimately you know we're forced into having to sort of find our, our own opinion do you know what i mean find right, people find that people we trust, that you trust is the, is the um, and i think that's kind of what happened because yeah. people did trust you and from trust grows interest and from interest yeah. if they like the music as well everything falls into place when did you realise it was working when did you realise no because I'm making it sound like you were being cynical and, and you weren't being cynical when I say when did you realise it was working when did you realise that you were becoming really popular the numbers were a good a good indicator in terms of the plays to, that there? I was getting well I mean I think that you know in comparison you know we, we, a number one record in those yeah. days would sell, you know, 300,000 in a week or something. Right. So the fact that I was getting, you know, two and a half million plays in a day. Were you really? So at, at certain points, yeah. Gosh. So it okay, was. Okay, okay, well, that's fairly. That's a lot. You know, so you were. Uh, yeah, if I put a new song up, um, you know, there wasn't any other websites, you sure. know, as well. It was only MySpace, really, mm. that people were on. So it was you know there was a whole generation of kids there so yeah it, that was a good indicator and then I think when I did my first ever gig you know because ev I'd recorded a whole album's worth of music but I never played live I certainly hadn't honed that you know Just part of my because the opportunity didn't present itself yeah, because you didn't fancy didn't it didn't have any money didn't have a band sure. like didn't um Details. just hadn't really got I didn't have any songs yet you know I'd only just finished writing some songs so yeah. um you know the the MySpace thing definitely sped things up, but I wasn't really ready for them in the in the sen the traditional mm. sense. Um, you know, without MySpace, I would have had to have, you know done toilet tours for two and a half years. You know, it might I mean, just or like venues. when you just play in t you know tiny yeah. venues yeah. up and down the country. Um, you know, and you get the train because you don't have enough money for a van yet. Or, sure. um, although now probably a van's cheaper than the train, but. <laughs> It definitely is. But, yeah, when I played my first gigs, I did a residency at the Notting Hill Arts Club and I remember turning up and there was no pre-sales of tickets and there was... And I, I used to go to that club. That's why I'd chosen to do the residency yeah. there anyway because I went there every Thursday. And there was a queue completely around the block and about sort of six people wide the whole way and I've never seen anything like it and I was just like whoa this is kind of mad uh, yeah, and it stayed like that for a whole month because presumably when you found out there weren't any pre-sales 
yeah. you were fearing the worst when you turned out that night. Well, just, it was the day. It was the days before pre-sale. Like, uh, well, you couldn't. So you don't it was like it was a club night, so it wasn't like you you couldn't buy tickets and any. You just sure. that's not how it what, worked what, there. What were those early gigs like? Were you any good? I think I was probably quite drunk. I was, I was so intimidated. And you'd have known. You'd have had a lot of people you knew in the audience yeah. as well. Does that help or hinder? I think then it probably helped. Yes. Now it would probably hinder. Sure. And uh, are you happy on stage? Do you like it performing? It's not, it's not my most comfortable place. Is it not? Um, I do really, really enjoy it because it's the one time where I can see my work translated into, um, you know, people's enjoyment. And mm. it's the, you know, when you play a song for the first time and people have been listening to it and you can see their mouths, you know, wording the words that you've written. Yeah. I mean, there is no better feeling. It's like, wow, you've, you've listened to something that I've written and you've, you've remembered it and you're singing it back at me now. And that's, that's pretty, it's, that's pretty, you know, affirming. It's, yes. really, it's a really good feeling. But, you know, I don't really, I'm not great in the spotlight. <laughs> really? <laughs> No, because I'm such a people pleaser. So I like I have to, you know, I, I just make a complete dick out of myself. I like make crap jokes and like, you know, I, I try really hard. <laughs> it's not something that's natural. No. Um, and but obviously, were because things went nuts pretty quickly after that. Yeah, I mean, but there there are times, you know, I, I look at like the different albums and where I was like in in my life, my personal life, and there are times when I definitely turned to alcohol and you know other substances to kind of get myself through and I can't really like revisit some of those periods because it's quite difficult okay. to, to look at but um, yeah there were definitely times when I felt so detached from myself and but I'd have to go up on stage and convince people that I was sort of all there and I can see it you know on my face it's not very nice it's quite um, masochistic I don't know I mean because you, you knew yeah but again you don't really want to you don't want to let people down. Who was looking out for you during this? I mean, because you'd be what early, very early twenties. Yeah, yeah. Who was looking out for you? Uh, who looks out for you? Oh, I'd be in my <laughs> early twenties. I'd still phone my mum every night, to be honest with you. And if I was getting involved in business, if I tried to get into journalism like my dad had, my dad would have been checking. Yeah, to be honest, years. I mean, I've, my family are all narcissists, right? You know? Um. In the, nice, in the nicest possible way. No, I'm definitely a narcissist. But, um, Are you? Yeah, I think so. So, so I mean, there's lots of love and, and support, but when it actually comes down to what's the most important thing in, in each life in your family, the answer is me. I think that we're all quite, like, need to sort of prove a point, and we're all very codependent people as well. Right. And um, a bit, not jealous of each other's successes, but... I think that we like drive each other with our sort of like ambivalence to each other. Do you know? Yes, I do. Does that make sense? <laughs> no, and also, there's that Gore Vidal line about every time a friend succeeds, a little bit of me dies. And it's not, it's not envy, but it sounds as if that's yeah. kind of what you're loosely alluding well, to. Well, I think that, you know, I, without was your dad wanting, jealous without when, you, when get, you became more famous than I him. I think so, yeah. Right, okay. And I think, um, you know, and also, but just from kids perspective you know we were jealous of our parents careers because they weren't there when we were kids oh, so yeah, so, jealous in the pure sense of the word yeah as, as so in, it was sort of yeah, like you know yeah. i was i remember thinking you know because my dad left my mom when when she was 21 or 22 and she had gosh. three kids gosh. and she had to do 
you know, she had to, she had no choice but to throw herself into work in order to provide for her kids. But obviously, as a child, you don't realize that. Right. You're just like, you know, you're telling me you love me the whole time, but you're never around. Where are you? Um, so I think I was always like, she, she just prefers this thing, work, and that obviously gives her, that's her sense of self. And it was definitely true of my dad. Mm. Um, and so I think, you know, growing up, I was just sort of like, I just want to get into this. Who am I? What's my what's my thing? Yeah. You know. Um, and I think you know I think my brother and my sister probably have a bit of that as well. Sure. <laughs> well, why is that funny? Well, I don't know because I'd say most people. I think most people would feel quite ashamed to say that sort of stuff out loud. But I I I definitely well, you didn't say anything. I mean. You mean well, about like, your about, family members as opposed to about you feeling a little bit bereft well, like, as a kid? Not, not really that, but like saying that, like owning up to your sort of like narcissistic <laughs> <laughs> tendencies. You know, most people try and hide that stuff, but I kind of feel like the only way to combat that stuff is to confront it head on. And I think but, that's a little bit like about the MySpace stuff. And, yeah, and everything else. And everything that, else is like, I, I don't, I'm really uncomfortable with a lot of my feelings a lot of the time. And I feel like the only way to deal with them is just to be like, to gauge yes. opinion almost. Oh, okay. So, so you're, you're putting it out there to see what other people, yeah, how other people respond to the, it. A lot of the time, yeah. Because you're not capable of hiding anything, are you? Not really. No. Were you ever? I no. mean, did, did we oversharing from from the cradle, as it were? Is that a bad? I don't know that that's a bad thing. I mean, well, no, I don't think it's a bad. Thing. It exposes you, I suppose, and then when yeah, negative reactions will hurt sometimes. Yeah, but I feel like sometimes the negative reactions are the ones you learn from the most. Yeah. Because when something hurts you and you internalise that, you're like, why is that? Why has that got to me so much? And usually that's something to do with your own prejudices about certain things. Or maybe. I mean, sometimes people are just bastards, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. But, and you and you are on the receiving end, probably of more more kind of sanctioned mainstream media vitriol mm. than. Almost anyone I can think of, actually. <laughs> I mean, it's quite bizarre how you have become... Uh, the poster girl. For the, yeah, for, for, for Daily Mail columnists and Daily Mail editorials. I, I think, I'm pretty sure, because I make jokes about this on my radio show, and I, I forget what happened and what didn't happen, but I'm pretty sure yeah. that about three months after Brexit, there was an article in the Daily Mail suggesting that if it all went wrong, it would be your fault. <laughs> <laughs> I might have dreamt it, but I think... I but, think, you know, actually, in all seriousness, like, I, the... I think like the shamelessness and the non-filter, unfiltered. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I don't, we might have to change the name after this. <laughs> the unfilteredness of um, of my being is a massive threat to them. I think that the Daily Mail, the Sun, or you know, News Corp, I, where women are concerned, shame is such a currency. Yeah. And the idea that a woman can express herself freely and seemingly without any shame is a massive threat. And, and without any, I, I mean, it would be acceptable if if there was a sort of dominant man in your life. I think to that that nineteen fifties worldview that these people have, it's 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 the idea that not only are you outspoken, well, look, you're also independent. You know, pow- money is power, yes. right? Um, and I think that you know, sh- women and shame it goes back to Adam and Eve. Yes. You know, and um, the Kardashians have managed to sell sex essentially yes. without any shame and they are killing it they have made a lot of money and i think that that's there's a lot of 
potential there in terms of women and the future. It's an interesting thing to say. And um, and I think that the establishment is terrified. Because when women own their own sexuality... And they can monetize their own sexuality. Then you can't, wep- you can't weaponize it. And, no, because no one's pimping them. them, so to speak. Yeah. Gosh, I never thought of it that way around before. Because I would see them as a father of two young girls. I, I'd, I'd be tempted to see them as being the enemy, being the anti-feminist, yeah. because they do nothing other than commoditize their sexuality but if sexuality but I think you know people if men are all sorry I don't want to say men because well maybe I should just say men but if men can capitalize on women's bodies which they do why shouldn't we be able to profit from our bodies personally indeed any more than you can I suppose I have sort of profit from your innermost feelings it's if the world if there's a market for something Mm. and you have it and you want to sell it sell it on your own terms yeah not on anybody else's Do, do you ever regret some of the because in some of your songs you're very honest about yourself but you've also been fairly honest about other people there used to be games among journalists to work out who you which which perhaps of an ex you were talking about when you were casting aspersions on the Mm. dimensions of their manhood or (laughs) or their um, other attributes Mm. do do you ever regret that do you ever think you were unfair to people in that kind of way Uh, the only person I'd say I was unfair to my brother is because I named him but he was just a dope smoking, yeah, but porn, you, porn watching teenager. You're saying you're saying that that journalists used to sit around and say which one is which one is you know, and there's a reason I didn't tell anyone. Of course, but they used to try and work were. it out, and, and people knew who who you'd been stepping out with, so to speak, didn't they? Yeah, but, but I don't think anyone's ever guessed um, right, actually. Okay, that's good to know. Did your brother not like that song? No, not at all. No. Made you made him famous. Don't say that. <laughs> and it didn't. He's, no. he's made himself famous. Of course, I know. <laughs> but still, I, I didn't know his name. Until See, then. that proves actually I'm not a narcissist, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly that. That's, I said you weren't. It's you that said you were. I'm still not convinced. There is a weird, I'm no psychologist, but there's there's a weird definition of an introvert who spends a lot of time being extrovert. Mm. But you're extrovert with, um, not a crowd, because that sounds daft, but with... People you care about, but in a sort of amorphous way, in a sort of faceless way, mm. so that you, you can emote on a on a on a crowd level, but not on a one to one level. Or you don't you don't want to be intimacy issues. I yeah, think, maybe is it? Is it? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, I think you you know probably just like harks back to childhood and that you know in those formative years, like I, there wasn't really anyone around without wanting to get my small tiny violin out but that was no. that was that was the reality and I think that um, yeah I found it very difficult to um, to express myself on any level until I got to a certain place and then it was just like and it all came out <laughs> and, so, and it's going to come out again because you, you mentioned that you're back with Warners there was there was a point not that long ago when you weren't going to do any more music where did that come from? where did that come from I think you know when I got pregnant with my first I was when I it was at the height of of you know being chased by paparazzi and um, is that horrible yeah it's really intimidating and, and when you tell the story of how you achieved fame that was never part of your desire because no, some, some people Kardashians for example presumably dreamt of the day when their limousine would be chased down Listen, if, if I'd have if I'd have known where it was that I was heading or if I, that had been my goal I wouldn't have signed such a tiny deal with EMI. Okay. No, I, I, I understand. <laughs> you know, if, if, if gonna, I'd have, if if I'd have thought my... where I was going, where I ended up going, then sure. I would have asked for a lot more fucking money. Okay. So, um, <laughs> 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 but, 
believe me. <laughs> well, and also, they, you might not have got it because they wouldn't have known where you were going to exactly. go. Exactly. So, but it was never. You know, I was just as shocked by it as everybody. When else did was. that start? I mean, you can't put an exact date on it, but but an event. When did you suddenly become one of the well, most chased people in the business? There was a well, the weekend I went to number one. I was doing an interview with the enemy with smile. Yeah. Yeah. And I did. A, and I did a interview the enemy at tea in the park in scotland and you know i was being like facetious and flirtatious with this journalist and he you know said what are you what are you going to do to celebrate and we just had this like long kind of conversation about cocaine in the music industry and um and so sort of like as a follow-on from that conversation yeah. i jokingly said oh i'm gonna get you know bucket loads of gack in and then you know that was the end of the conversation and then the next morning I woke up in Milan or Berlin or somewhere and um, and uh, my manager sent me a text the front page of the news of the world and it was like Lily celebrates number one of cocaine binge and they've got you banged to rights because you're on the record yeah and I was just like it was just, it was complete eye opener, but I I honestly think were I you went, cool with it or were you no, scared? No, I wasn't. I think was, I, went into, I went into trauma. Yeah, I was going to say because it's and a I big do, difference. And I don't think I came out for a few years. Really, I think that I went into. I mean, you can't. You, I, it's it's so difficult to talk about and to explain what that feeling is like. But when you don't, when you're not expecting it, you're just doing like a little interview with the enemy for ten minutes. So you you know in your head it's like a little tiny bit yes, in the you know column. Yes on page eight of the enemy or whatever and you're on the front page it's the headline the yeah. big headline it's the biggest story in the country the <laughs> um, for, for, for younger viewers not familiar with the news and for somebody that's you know a 21 year old girl like yeah. who but you weren't ashamed or embarrassed about using drugs it wasn't that so it's not no, that it was that, that they'd, it was that they'd used it as no because it was framed like you should be ashamed exactly but I was like I don't know what I felt. I just thought I thought oh, God, an idiot for for saying that and not knowing that this is how it works. But it was it was an eye opener. It was you know a lesson was learnt or not. I th- actually I think I felt it was really unjust and and bullyish behaviour. And I think that my reaction to that was to stand up to the bullies. And you know they probably were like they probably were thinking this is going to be a good way to shut her up and get her back in her box. And I went the other way. I'm so, still doing it. <laughs> I was going to say, set the tone for your relationships with the yeah, British, British I mean, actually, press ever since. I have to. I mean, I was. I met up with some lawyers the other day because there's, um, uh, you know, people that have been working in the hacking inquiry, the oh, lawyers yeah. and stuff. And something's come up anyway. They okay. think that there might be cause for a claim. And so I was going I'm surprised through. You weren't already on that list. Well, to be honest, I, I am yes. on the list. But anyway. But that's a violation. They, they came over. They came over. These lawyers and they had a big file, and this was just one newspaper group of everything that had been written that's on the internet. Yes. So obviously, it's quite a lot of the servers they took down, especially the stories that were from hacking. Sure. Um, but what is available in the public domain now is a stack of about this much. And we probably went over it for about five hours, six hours. And, you know, in the afternoon, we had a little break and they said, you know, how does this make you feel? And yeah. I was just like, actually weirdly proud because I was 20, 20, you know, 21. And it's quite clear that they're, I'm a target for these people. And look at me, I'm sober, I'm alive. I've got two children who are doing pretty well. I won. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. When I, when really they tried everything to 
to make that not you the keep, case. Uh, you keep, uh, I mean, I used to be a showbiz journalist, although I wasn't involved in anything. Uh, I was rubbish at it. I'd, I'd get 2,000 words of... Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Insightful copy. And the fellow from The Sun would get Gary Barlow to admit that he once spoke to Spliff and he'd be the one with the front page story. And I'd be wondering why I was on page 212. But I, I don't know that I buy completely the idea that, 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 that there was this great need to shut you up. But you've thought about this a lot more than I have. So t- tell me a bit more about what you... Because well, what, are people afraid of you corrupting their daughters? Is that what we're sort of or corrupting? Are they corrupting in their view? Well, no, I just, I, I think maybe it's a, f- a f- second wave feminism thing, yes, actually, yes, to be honest. That makes I think sense. it's more of a like seeing, seeing women as, as a threat and that they shouldn't, yeah. women should be seen and not heard. And if women do speak up, then we will humiliate, we'll do our best to humiliate them for doing that so that they get back in their box. And. You know, in the early days of the Mail Online, you could see it in the comment section. You know, mm. it was all middle-aged women at home mm. when their kids are at school and their husbands are off at work, mm. and and this stuff worked. You know, they gotcha. were really incensed by it, um, the way that they framed things, and it yeah. was definitely angled towards that market. It's it no like, your place yeah. stuff, isn't it? And you refused and still do, yeah, because they still come after you more than almost as I've mentioned a couple of times. <coughs> made a list more than anyone else I can almost think of so after the Finsbury Park mosque attack Sarah Vine in the Daily Mail I don't pretend to be a pop star so how about you don't pretend to be a journalist slightly bigging herself up there um, and, and, and all the usual suspects as well Daily Express Lily Allen has been hit with another wave of Twitter abuse about bizarre claims about Britain being hate, hated because of slavery um, carnival carnage this is when you fell off the wagon I think we could say couldn't we <laughs> I don't think I was on the wagon yet. Let's just say this is when you did Carnival in in 2016. Um, And and also then there's the other stuff as well. You actually end up receiving libel damages from the Sun after they claimed that you'd said stuff you hadn't said about. And you never... How much of it is... is, I'm not going to say your fault, because none of it is your fault, but how easy would it be for you to stop being... Does it, let me start another question, actually. We'll move on to... Does it but, still but, hurt? But why? Right? Does it hurt, this stuff? Yes. Right. So why do you carry on doing the stuff that makes them hurt you? Because it's not really about me. It's about a journey and oppression and, 
you know, if it was about me, I would shut up because I would be a lot richer. Sure. Um, you know, you don't really make money from selling music these days. You make money from brand endorsements yes. and people don't really want to come near me with a barge pole. So, okay. because they see me as being too risky and not necessarily because of the things that I say, but because of the way that it gets spun. Yes. So, um, I, I just feel like it, the attention has always been bigger than me. Right. So, and I've been afforded this platform and either I use it for selfish reasons and to, you know, fly around the world co collecting money and or I do it you. for, you know, something that's going to make me feel like I've achieved something at the end of the day, which is, you know, getting people to think outside of the box that's being given to them by a few media moguls and barons that are profiting off people's vulnerability and oppression. Which is the answer to the question of why, why do you think it's so controversial? Because because of the people who are doing all the things that, mm. you, that you've just described. You, you, I mean, what hurts the most? What are the things that... If I said that, because this is probably me being a bit paternalistic, possibly even, <laughs> I like to call it a bit sort of benign chauvinism, but sometimes, because <coughs> I, I, I'm not backwards and coming forwards on a lot of the issues that you're very prominent on as well, mm. I, I feel protective towards you. I, I, I don't know whether that is inappropriate or weird or um. daft or all of the above. That's very nice for you to think well, so. I think, is it? So. I think well, uh, yeah, I... Uh, what sometimes, hurts sometimes the most... Let me deal with this. No. I, think, I think what hurt... What, it's not... I don't think... Not, things don't really hurt unless they're true. You know, like when I did the Hard Out Here video yes. and people got really upset because they, you know, of the racist connotations that it had, that hurt because I was upsetting other people due to my own ignorance. Um, but again, you know, I learned from that. I was like, wow, this is a real issue, an issue that I don't really fully understand, otherwise I wouldn't have done it. I need to educate myself and change change my output, yes. you know, because I really don't want to hurt people. This is sort of white privilege issue <laughs> yeah. kind of thing. Um, and cultural appropriation, that's, yeah, yeah, what yeah. It, that's what it was. Um, I think what I get angry about is when people say, daddy's little girl, and, you know, you're only where you are because of his, you know, that was afforded to you when actually when my dad tried to sort it out it was a fucking nightmare and I nearly got countersued for three and a half million quid he left when I was four years old and you know didn't pay child support to my it dear old mum it robs you, know, you of agency yes well, and it? it's sort of like you know you don't exist you're not a person you and know? that's why you're not allowed to be lonely when you were growing up and you know, how dare she feel that she was yeah. you know perhaps left alone by her mum had to go how dare she suggest that her mum had to go out and work that is famous so yeah. you, you tick it's almost like the planets have perfectly aligned for Paul Dacre and, yeah. and it just paints a massive target on your back doesn't <laughs> it really yeah and also you know you're like, oh you went to B-Dales it's like I went there for a term like, and then got expelled like I didn't you know that really didn't work out particularly well it's I wouldn't say that I wouldn't say that it was like a, you know no. a great education or it was sort of, of three months no, exactly. <laughs> well, and they've got a problem with that because again that's a school that discourages regimented behaviour isn't it it's yeah. a school that whether you're there for a term or not but it is seen by other public it's school liberal, people yeah. yeah as the one where you're allowed to be free and you're allowed to be um, but there's never a bit of you that thinks well, maybe do you like you imagine the life where your neck is wound in do you ever do that yeah which brings us to sort of, I suppose, Grenfell and, and the, because I understand better now that you would have approached that, not just because it's your patch of town, it's where you grew up, mm -hmm. but it is something that you felt was being ignored or, or you even felt that was being misrepresented, misreported. Yeah. So talk, just how does that work then? Do you, 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 do, you, do you set out 
to find a camera? I mean, do you... God, no. no I, I mean, you know what I mean. I, mean I With the Grenfell stuff, you know, I was for a start, I was there on the night, you know, from 1.30 in the morning. Okay. Oh, yes, I did. Sorry, so, you, you, you headed to the scene of the fire, yeah. Yeah, because we're, where I live is, you know, Notting Hill Gate, and my ex-husband, you know, lives down the road. Right. He had the kids that night. And right. so I heard the helicopters, and then I looked on Twitter, and Metropolitan Police said it's Grenfell Tower. I knew where that was. It's equidistant between both of us. And at that point, it looked like it might be a terrorist attack. So I thought, having seen what they did with London Bridge attacks and, you know, shutting down yes. that big bit of that big area and no one coming in and out, I just wanted to get to my kids. So I was there it became very apparent very quickly that it wasn't a terrorist attack and, you know, saw some pretty yeah. horrendous things. Um, and because of, you know, my the nature of who I am as a person and also being a mother, there were lots of children around that were witnessing this mm. terrible thing that, you know, while it was burning, we didn't know what was... We, you know, we didn't imagine that those people weren't going to get out. So it was only... You know, in the in the day after, in the couple of days following it, you know that as a community we sort of realised the scale of, you know, how many people were in there or hadn't been accounted for. Um, that I started to think about the trauma um, of what these young kids had all seen, and the fact that the council withdrew at that point and absolved themselves of responsibility in terms of in terms of looking after the, yes. the, the wider community that was my thing you know because I've got experience with trauma yeah. you know having had my stalker and you know going through quite traumatic stillbirth and you know I know what happens to my brain and um, and in those you know situations and I just was thinking fuck you know this is going to have really long term Effect, negative effects on this community yes. and then the council need to step up and they need to do it right now yes. because there are you know trigger points you know we're dealing with trauma you know, sort of two weeks four weeks six weeks okay. um, in terms of you know remembering things sure. and yes, um, compartmentalising bits of information and you could sort of see that maybe that people weren't getting the help that they needed because that was a manipulation in itself it's like you know yeah. when you're not helped you then Internalize it, and then you then you forget, and then it becomes a grey area, and then suddenly you're not a very reliable witness. Yeah, you know. So, so there's a sense of urgency. <coughs> yeah, that was the that was the thing for me was that a these people need help. B they're the only witnesses, and C you know this is all stuff that you, people carry around in the brain and. Um, and D, I, I speak the language of public attention, and not a lot of people do. Yes. Yeah, and I think I'm in a unique position because I have experience with the people of the local community, the press, and also actually the police because of the stalking and harassment stuff. So yes. I kind of like those three bodies I've had dealings with. And there weren't many people in that situation no, that, for that sure. did, that had that. All three points of the trial. <laughs> yeah, so, um, and you know, so I was down there, I was quite hands on and helping out with the donations and stuff, and then with certain members of certain families and um, I did quite a lot of, you know, volunteering with the Red Cross in the weeks afterwards. Um, and, you know, because I was there, down there by the tower and walking up and down the whole time, I would see people, you know, like Jon Snow and 
mm. his producers and they'd always come up to me and be like, well, please, we come do this. Mm. And most of the time I'd say no, but, mm. you know, some once or twice I was like, actually, yeah, something needs to be said, so. And I, I, you were persuaded that there was some sort of official cover-up of the death toll. Yeah, I mean, I still think there was. Do you? Because mm. the, I mean... I don't think that, not, not necessarily that there was a cover-up. I mean, I think, you know, the... The way they came to that figure well, isn't based on the amount of bodies that they pulled out. It's no, based on no, a census no. that was ha happened in 2013. Uh, and, on, so, uh, no, and on reported <coughs> people being reported yeah, missing. But, and that's you know, where perhaps the gap appears, isn't it? If you're an undocumented yes, of course. then yeah. you have, don't have... Why are your family going to tell anyone yeah. that you, you don't exist? <coughs> and would they know that Grenfell Tower burnt down or even that their family member lived in a place called Grenfell Tower if, if their family's in South Sudan? Yeah. Like... It doesn't... How would you know? And that was... I, I mean, in many ways, f f from that what the world view of the people who, who, who kind of... The journalists who stalk your your every move, this story was... I, for me, it was the most disgusting ever because it was the response in those comment boxes when the ethnicity of some of the people that were there and mm. some of the people that had probably died. I, 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 I was surprised by the callousness mm. that our countrymen displayed. I couldn't quite believe what I was reading with regard to children who were taken to the seaside a week later, mm. who had probably smelt the burning bodies of their neighbors that night. And and that I thought, I thought I'd seen how low we could go. Mm. Do you, does that chime with you? Yeah, yeah. Although, you know, with my visit to Calais and stuff, like yes. I, I'm quite aware mm. of what that cesspit looks like. Yeah. You know, do you ever try and unpick it? The internet. Do you ever try and work out? Do you ever try and look for the good in the people that write such vile things? Wonder how they've ended up like that while you've ended up like this? Uh, <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> that surprises me because a lot of what you told me yeah. today is based upon your desire to understand stuff. Yeah, I mean, I do, I think... Well, because I think I get it. I think I get. Oh, yeah. I think I understand okay. male to toxicity, and it's not just male. a lot of that. Well, no, but a lot of that, you know, far right yeah. racist stuff yeah, yeah. is like you know football accounts, and you know I think, I think that's quite, that's quite interesting in itself because you know football is a place that can can breed that kind of. Well, that's maybe the wrong way of phrasing it. I think. There aren't many places for large numbers of people to congregate anymore. No. The one place that does get to do that freely on a weekly basis, regularly, is almost exclusively for white males. You know, that's... Yeah. That's where that happens, you know. And the community centres where minority groups are all being closed, you know, women's... Um, refuges you know, all of these things are just being systemically shut down all over the place but yet yeah, I'm not saying we should, we should cancel football but <laughs> tomorrow's that's headline. not what I'm saying <laughs> <laughs> she's gone too far this time <laughs> burn that witch um, no <laughs> um, but it is interesting it is right. interesting that you know that ideas spread through people you know and there is it's almost exclusively male and exclusively white. That, that and the loudest voices are the nastiest. And the loudest voices, yeah. And 
and that kind of carries into the internet somehow or has done anyway um and i think with the decline of local news which i've actually really interested in yes um well grenfell being a perfect yeah, example perfect of what happens example, when you yeah. haven't got any yeah um i think we yeah we're living in quite interesting times i think there does have to be change with that I'd, I'd really like to see a Twitter that is localised actually to communities yeah um, I went to a protest the other day for Warnington College which is in <coughs> Goldbourne Road yeah um, just off Labrick Grove which is Kensington Chelsea and um, you know they're pretty like active people within the community that were walking past the protest and I had no idea this was on today and you think, like, yeah. well, that's because people don't put notices up in the library anymore and yeah. people don't have the youth clubs and the youth centres to go to. Unless you've and got a connection to a school. Unless you're searching yes. on Twitter for yes. this exact thing, it's not going to... I mean, yeah. I don't know how the algorithms are controlled these days anyway, but, no. or, you know, how... We you know we've, we live in an era where we think we're really connected, but actually we might be really disconnected moving in the opposite direction at breakneck speed yeah. I sometimes think that that's why I love radio so much actually because yeah. you really are still right in people's ears yeah but you know it's accessible to anyone um that that night did you did you feel your trauma kind of I mean, you mentioned that you recognised the signs and you were helpful, but did you suffer in a way that perhaps someone who hasn't been through what you've been through wouldn't have suffered? Did you did you find echoes of your own? Because the miscarriage, the stillbirth that you had was harrowing. It was hours and hours, mm. not knowing what was going on. And, and that is something that you never recover from mm. fully. Did, 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 to be exposed to such an, uh, an unprecedented event like that, did, do you think it might have harmed you at all or hurt Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean... And also there's, like, in, immediate feelings of guilt and shame attached to, like, even being there for Survivors. some weird reason. Oh, OK. Well, not survive. Well, more just, like, you know, I feel sometimes, like, when I... A lot of people, when you talk to them in the days and weeks afterwards, would have to, like, justify why they were there yes. still. Yeah. Why they were still volunteering and being nice for some reason it's right. sort of like you're ghoulish for oh. being here and it was sort of but but on the night and I try to kind of articulate this but I have never really quite managed to when there are people jumping from a burning building and screaming and waving towels out of windows it's not it doesn't feel appropriate to get back in your car and go I'm just gonna go home now have a nap get up in the morning take my kids to school like nothing happened like you just that it doesn't leave you you can't what's the right time to go you know yes that's what it that's what it felt like it was just from the second that you were there till now even doing you know advocacy and and turning up at meetings and um those people mattered and it's they the only, were people and it's the only place you've ever lived really I mean it's it's well, I've lived in just actually on this road. And this is well. <laughs> that was where my mum lived when my, oh, my okay. teen years. But, but as an adult, that's your yeah. Well, orbit. as a small child, and then yes. as an adult, I moved back there as a teenager, really. 
And then, I, I mean, given of all the subjects we've already touched upon, it would be remiss not to touch upon the, the story that's dominating the news agenda at the moment, which, of course, is the, is the Harvey Weinstein thing, which you, you've also, in, I own mean, this won't go out today, but it's in today's Daily Mail that, again, Sarah Vine, Michael Gove's wife, has a, has a crack at you for um, joining the hashtag Me Too thing. Mm. Uh, the next line of the column because I did it on the radio this morning was something like the kind of women who come forward with their stories in the hope of getting onto the woman's hour power 100 list um let's leave her out of it and you, you again it's something you've been quite upfront about about sleazy men or, yeah. or abusive men also one of the original eight was my aunt you know apart for the new yorker story I didn't know that yeah my uncle's wife and mother of my four cousins. She was his assistant from the age of 21 to 25. So, and my mum works a lot with Harvey. And, <clears throat> you know, my mum was on the news last week talking about an experience that she had where she was in a screening room and he was masturbating in the seat behind her, you know, when she was 20-something yeah. years old. Um, and I've been harassed. I've... I mean, actually, I can't talk too much about it because of for legal reasons, of but um, I'm in the process of dealing with something. And, yeah, it's really unhelpful of Sarah Vine to even say things like that, yes. I think. Let's leave it at that. But I think it's probably helpful for the narrative of yes. the publication she writes well, for. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> to try and um, make women feel ashamed for wanting to talk about it. But, interest, I mean, I think what I found quite interesting is... Um, people suggesting that there's something to be gained from wanting to talk about these things. Yeah. And actually, I think all that most women want is to just offload it. And yes. Just to be like, you know what? I don't want to carry this around me anymore. Because it doesn't go away. Does it doesn't it? go away and it eats away inside you. And so suddenly this Harvey Weinstein thing has happened and it's like, oh, fuck, thank fuck. I can fucking get this asshole's name out of my mouth and mm. out of my head and I don't want money I don't mm. want you know if if it was about that then I would sue you in the civil courts and you'd attach a non-disclosure agreement to it that's not what I want which often happens yeah um, so yeah it's unhelpful fuck you Sarah <laughs> <laughs> um, you seem you seem in a good place you seem yeah, sort I am. Of happy in your own skin is that yeah. true do you like yourself um. Yes, I do. You know, I've, I'm. I know that I, I'm a good person, and that I want to. I really want to make the world a better place. Or. Yeah. I think life can be a lot easier for a lot of people. If and, some things and change, it doesn't seem that complicated yeah. sometimes, does it? It seems to some of these. <laughs> Some of, some of these things do seem slightly obvious. Um, and, um, yeah, I think with like some quite small adjustments to some very powerful people's lives. Would you ever think about going into politics or something like yeah. that? You would. When? <laughs> Give me a date. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Week on Friday. <laughs> I'm actually running for member of European Parliament. You've <laughs> <laughs> left that a bit late. <laughs> or not. Don't do, do, true. Yes, you could lead the comeback, lead the, re, lead the return. Do you like Jeremy Corbyn? I do. You're on board. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I wouldn't say I'm like a Corbyn Easter. Um, uh, you know, I'm definitely more 
for Jeremy than I am for Teresa at this point. That could be damning with faint phrase, couldn't it? it was, um, <laughs> but yeah, I sandwiches or gravel. <laughs> I don't know. I think that, like you know, with the Grenfell stuff, I can't. You know, at the moment, I have a platform that people will listen to me, and so I've kind of always, you know, with, even with the saying that those figures within the John Snow interview. Yes. It wasn't really my feelings. It was wanting to amplify the voices of mm. those voices that are so often dismissed. Um, and so, yeah, I don't, I don't think that I'm really up for like being prime minister or um, you know cabinet member. But yeah, definitely like councillor at some point or or a crusading you know, local, MP, local MP with, yeah. a, with a you know strong constituency presence. Yeah, I know. And maybe when my kids have left primary school and we're forced out to Hastings I'll give Amber Rogers a run for her money <laughs> if, she's still, if she's still there <laughs> um, you're back in the studio clearly well actually I'm finished I've, d- I've just delivered my fourth record so pleased with really, it? I'm really pleased with it and that means the spotlight potentially everything's changed since you started in terms yeah. of I mean you'd have to tour everything now don't you furiously otherwise yeah. otherwise you're not going to pay your bills and I'm not going to do that in the same way that I have done it previously just because you know, my kids really yes. Um, so I have to sort of take each day as it comes but I do I do feel like in the last year or so I've become less interested in uh, you know money and material things and uh, you know I've not I sold my big house in the country and I'm just kind of like not putting massive amounts of pressure on myself to you know yeah I just kind of just want to exist a little bit <laughs> that makes sense why did you change your mind about the music I don't think we got, got <coughs> oh what back one. in the day yeah I mean when I you said that I was going to give up yeah was that just a actually I think I was sort of trying to manipulate more money out of the record company fair enough um, so I think I wanted them to believe that I was really gone for good. So I love that because no one ever gets a, lure me back. No one ever gets a promotion or a pay rise unless they find somebody else who yeah. has offered them more. So you just went for the complete scorched earth approach. So it was all right. I'll never sing again. Then that's yeah. cool. That's it. Did it work? and and what is the new record like I mean you're clearly pleased with it I am really pleased with it I've been working on it for nearly three years Um, so yeah it's a a labour of love it's 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 not an easy listen Um, you know I've been through divorce um, and it's quite sort of when I got pregnant, I was sort of like quite ostracised from my social life because, well, I couldn't take drugs and party anymore. Mm. So, uh, you know, I felt quite a bit of, um, you know, there was an adjustment period of like having to sort of find yeah. my place again. Um, and then, you know, I had this horrible incident with my stalker breaking into my house and. Um, some pretty dark isolating probably I'd say the last five years have been the darkest and in a lot of ways I mean obviously my children are amazing Mm. and have been you know the the light at the end of the tunnel ever since that they appeared at the end of the tunnel (laughs) (laughs) um, they you know they're 
but there have been and I've, I've probably suffered quite a lot of postnatal depression after my stillbirth as well yes. and um, I I've all, in my music has always been quite in your face and bullshit I think this record it's quite vulnerable um, but still frank and uh, matter of fact I think it's quite shocking at times it's not in, it's not easy listen it's not like Radio 1's Big Weekend sure what um, is it like? I don't know. No? I don't know. Oh, we'll have to I hate making comparisons. We'll have to wait and see. Well, yeah. of course, because you run the risk of sounding self-aggrandising. And you're an idiot. Black, mate. Don't kid yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no. It's it's different, but it's... You know what? On my last album, Jesus, I look at all of the promo that I was doing and I just, like, I'm... It just I can see like a complete crisis of self like the whole thing was a nightmare and I think that's because I was making music for the market rather than yes. making and I think that that's because I was when I was writing it I was suffering from postnatal depression I didn't know who I was and you, you know? were trying to please and I was trying to please and um, you know and I wanted success so I wrote music in and it just it just wasn't very good um, or at least it just didn't feel yes. honest I think that's what it was really yeah. it felt like I was trying too hard um, whereas this record I feel like it's it's really on, there's no way that you can listen to it and be like that's not real can't <laughs> oh, wait what's um, that do you know yet when do you I don't actually it's, um, it's delivered it's kind of like in their hands now really so I'm sure they put it into some market research machine that tells you June or <laughs> and February. I don't know. We'll finally, um, what would you today say to the girl who saw that News of the World that morning, that front page story? What, knowing what the next 10 years are going to be like? Yeah. I guess I'd say, yeah, this is it. <laughs> Deal with it. It's going to get harder. <laughs> Fair enough. Sound advice. <laughs> no one could accuse you of getting it wrong. <laughs> Lily Allen, thank you so much. My That's been brilliant. That's been really <laughs> lovely. Cheers. And I am joined now by Richard, the producer of Unfiltered, who helps me sort of pick over the bones of the interview we've just conducted. Um, she's fantastic, isn't she? She's amazing. Um, and for so many different reasons as well. Uh, like The main one being like when she was talking about you know herself as an artist and how there's kind of not much sort of delineation between you know uh, who she is as a person who she is as an artist she's very honest and you can sort of hear that in her music but then she fed into how that is like a problem for the daily mail mm. and all of that guard you know they I can't thought of it that way before yeah they can't stand having someone like that that doesn't just fit into the sort of allotted spaces that we're given mm. and it's a real headache for them um yeah i thought she was really fascinating on that i was worried about this one because because i because i felt that i knew her but I didn't. I don't know her at all. I mean, we've been in touch a little bit about some issues and, and uh, got shared areas of interest. But I, I was worried this might be the one where where we actually just ran out of stuff to say. Quite really? Yeah, yeah, genuinely. <laughs> but it well, wasn't a problem in the end, was it? <laughs> don't want to boast about our own podcast, but it didn't come across like that. <laughs> well, then we'll leave it there, I think. <laughs>
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 